The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we speak to college football playoff executive director Bill Hancock. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi williams Let's start all this talk about the problems that ESPN has had, but they still have strong ratings. What have we always said? They may not be the 800-pound gorilla anymore, but they're the 750-pound gorilla these days. They reclaimed the spot number one top cable network and a bit of an anomaly last year. Does it happen without the election? And they lost the spot to Fox News. So that that really shows that people were tuning in for the election coverage. But if it was a non-election year, does that happen? Here they are back on top. Yeah, I don't this I don't read much into this. I mean, they, they were number one from 1999 to 2015. The election cycle happened. Fox News took over. And now 2017, they're back at number one. Uh, but but this doesn't hide the fact that, that the viewership numbers are dropping. They are below what they were in prime time two years ago in 2015. Uh, so the trend is happening downward. It's not like there's other people that are shooting up to take their place. They're still the top dog, uh, but the size of the pie is getting a little smaller. And their margin, by the way, between one and two, even though everything's coming down, the ratings, the margin between number one ESPN and number two is getting wider. So they're still in a good position. They have a, a wide array of live rights. And let's not forget here with the Disney deal with uh, 20th Century Fox, 31% of sports programming was consumed on ESPN platforms. 21% was on Fox platforms, and much of that's the RSNs. They're getting the RSNs in the deal. 50% of sports programming now belongs to this Disney entity. But is this part of also the human nature? When you're on top, people love to sling the arrows to take you down? Yeah, look at the NFL right now. You know, they're 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 the biggest the biggest sports league in revenue and in, in TV ratings, etc. And and yeah, they consistently the storyline is what's happening in the NFL, what's the future? Are they going down? Uh, yeah, I think this is a lot. ESPN has some parallels there. When we discuss ESPN, the only thing that's important, yes, you can give number here, number there. Just provide context, Michael. Speaking of the NFL, Allen and Company, they're involved now in the sale of the Carolina Panthers. What's up? Yeah, step one, pick a banker. I mean, if you're going to use a banker, the Houston Rockets did not, Les Alexander, and that worked. But uh, yeah, the Richardson family hired Allen and Company, which means you get Steve Greenberg, who recently sold the Brooklyn Nets to Joe Tsai for a record NBA price of $2.3 billion. Uh, this is a boutique bank that has lots of ties to wealthy individuals. So you wonder, will this be one of those group sales, or is this going to be somebody coming in with a billion-dollar net worth plus and cutting a check? That's the kind of thing Steve Greenberg does. I don't want to get too into the weeds, the Wall Street weeds here, but no surprise here that, that Allen & Company is doing this. They seem to be... One of the biggest, if not the biggest, in terms of handling sales of sports franchises. Scott, are you surprised that Bank of America didn't get this business? I yeah, mean, you based and I in have Charlotte. Discussed. Yeah, this, this is the name one. Name is on the stadium. Us. Yeah, this is the one that surprised us. That Bank of America, as he just said, based in Charlotte, name on stadium, team sponsor. You wonder if Hugh McCall, the former CEO, is rumored to be one of the bidders for the team. 
did they conflict themselves out here? However, the team could always waive the conflict as long as they're aware of it. I'm surprised that, at least right now, it doesn't seem as if Bank of America has a role in this sale, but I wouldn't be surprised at the end if they do. And let's clarify something. They can't do diddly-boo until the Panthers are done with their season. Well, they could do diddly-boo, as you say, if they wanted to, but that's Jerry Richardson's choice. He said, we will not accept offers, we will not do anything until our season is over. Another topic, University of Arizona football coach Rich Rodriguez, he's mad. No bonus. Why? This is one of my favorite uh, college football <laughs> bonus stories. Uh, Arizona put securities in Rich Rodriguez's contract. Uh, they're they're ma- shares in a master limited partnership, an, an oil company. Um, and his longevity bonus was tied to those shares. Uh, so the longer he was at the program, at certain increments, Arizona would sell off that stock uh, and they would pay him the, the money they got from the stock. Uh, he was fired this this week. If he had been fired three months later, there was an extra three point two four million dollars on his contract that he would have received uh, had he made it three more three more months. You know, I'd be mad too. Well, I would love it. I would just. I wish Rich Rod had a Bloomberg terminal, and then you know somehow we could track uh, or have him tell us what his his best functions are. Like message would be one of them, and then he's looking at the price of oil. I'd be like, what What are you doing, Rich Rod? You know. It's just fun to see what's next. We're really going to have to comb. That When I say we, I mean like Eben in the future. You're going to have to comb through <laughs> these coaching contracts to see what's next. I mean, are more commodities side. Are, are there going to be stocks given as possible bonuses? Is the next football coach going to be watching the price of Apple? It's going to be fun. It's, yeah, and I've, I've talked to a number of athletic directors about whether they would consider doing something similar. You can see the benefits because they get to sell – they get to keep the profits from the stock until they sell them off. Um, it's risky, obviously, and if you're Rich Rod, uh, you were three months away from from getting this huge bonus and it ends up you're not going to get it. Um, but we'll see We'll see what happens in the future. All right, Michael, we've heard enough from you. I think you can go because the resident college football expert, Ebby Novin-Williams, and I can take it from here Ooh, as we time. get into our interview with Bill Hancock. He was the first executive director of the Final Four, that's basketball, the first executive director of the BCS, and now the first executive director of the college football playoff. Bill Hancock, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bill, we're always selling the future of whatever product we have. For you, it's college football. So if I've got Georgia and Alabama in the championship game, which you do, what does that mean for the business of college football moving forward? Two giants of college football. And um, everything about the college football playoff has been and will be good for college football. So um, this this whole weekend will line up great for the sport. Is there anything to the notion that an all-SEC affair sort of regionalizes the interest, like when we had the Yankees and the Mets in the World Series? Yes, the number one media market, but a lot of the rest of the country didn't really care. Is that true of college football, or is are the fans, even in California and other parts, still interested in what's going on? You know, I think that remains to be seen. I, I suppose, I suppose there there will be there will be a greater focus of interest uh, in the southeastern quadrant. But I think it remains to be seen what the interest is around the rest of the country. Uh, it'll be high, but so for us, it's a question of how high. And the fact is, we we have a playoff, and so whoever wins the semifinals is is who wins the semifinals. And again, it's just going to be a great weekend in Atlanta. 
we're talking to Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. Uh, college football fans out there obviously know that, that you guys took over for the BCS uh, a number of years ago. Uh, you're four years in right now. How does how, how has it been? Can you give us kind of a rough breakdown of expectation versus versus kind of how it's played out in the first couple of years? Yeah, it's stacked up very well. Um, amazingly, the playoff was created now five and a half years ago. It was June of 2012 when the BCS uh, leadership uh, decided to do something different and created this playoff. And fans, coaches, uh, even even I dare say even some reporters <laughs> really like it. Uh, actually, most reporters. Uh, it's it's been successful uh, beyond our, our dreams. I think I knew it would be, you know, a quality event that people would really enjoy. But I think I, I think I underestimated just exactly how much passion there would be and how much focus there would be on the playoff and, and the good things that it would do for the game. And college football fans are nothing if not uh, super passionate. Obviously, there were there were concerns that the BCS wasn't good enough in, in crowning a champion. Moving to a, a semifinal and a final seems better. There's also people, as I know you know, that we would like to see the playoff expanded. Uh, is that something that we may be seeing in, in, in the future? What are those talks? Uh, how are they happening? It's, it's not in the cards. Uh, there's no conversation among our board members about doing anything different. They're, they're quite happy with the playoff that we have. We have a 12-year contract, of course, so we're on year four of that. But I think more importantly, I think people are just really, really happy with what's happening. We have preserved the regular season. College football's regular season is the best one in sports, most compelling, most interesting, the one, the one that where the, where the teams have to be on their toes for three and a half months and, um, and, and fans' attention is riveted on the game for three and a half months. So just, just not any interest in, in expanding. I, I hear that occasionally from reporters and fans, um, but when I ask them why, they generally say, well, I want, I want more football. That's not a bad problem if you were making widgets. You'd want people to want more to buy more of your widgets. But the other thing I hear is, well, it would be easier for the selection committee, and it wouldn't. The difference between team four and five is the same or magnified when you compare teams eight and nine, teams sixteen and seventeen, and whatever. And I saw that when I was director of the NCAA tournament, and we had the same kind of heartburn about choosing those sixty-four teams uh, back in my day. Bill, I think our phone lines are lighting up with the people in Columbus, Ohio right now. They'd like to have a word with you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, 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 I'd want to talk to me, too, if I were the people in Columbus, Ohio. Um, they had a great season. And um, the fact of the matter is that they, uh, the committee looked at it, and the comparison obviously was Alabama and Ohio State. And the committee just said, you know what? Based on what we've seen, based on their season performance, uh, Alabama's a better team. How important is branding to solidifying the success of a playoff, of a sport, of particularly the selling of it all? I can speak for college football and say that branding from a selection committee standpoint is, is not important at all, not a factor. Of course, the interesting thing about the Alabama-Ohio State comparison is both those two are colossal brands in college football. So, no, just not a factor at all. And I'm going to give you a chance to make one of your sponsors very happy, and we'll talk about more of them in a minute. But this isn't just the college football playoff. It's the college football playoff presented by AT&T. What do sponsors look for? What do they get out of? How do you explain to them that there will be ROI, return on investment of their dollar, for an association with this event? 
First of all, sponsors get a connection with a respected, high demographic event that college graduates are passionate about. From a business perspective, the audience for college football is is unmatched. And uh, there's a lot of customers out there, a lot of customers in college football. And that, that, that those customers pay attention to who the sponsors are. We have a really great product to sell and a great product that the sponsors want to be associated with. When you say demographic, you're talking about age, income. Can you explain what is the demo that they're getting? Yeah, all of the above. They're getting, they're getting high-educated people. Uh, they're getting generally uh, uh, they're getting good, a good passel of young people, but also a very nice passel of, of high-earning uh, uh, people in, in middle age and above. That are that are very very passionate about their game, and uh, and passionate then about the products they're associated with the game. Bill, we've seen the the NFL have some pretty high profile uh, audience uh, TV ratings dips this year. Uh, speaking about sponsors, obviously there have been some sponsors of the NFL that have that have been pretty public uh, in their displeasure about the league this season. Uh, have you guys seen any of that trickle down to where you guys are? I mean, there's obviously concerns about head injuries, for example, in, in, in both the professional and the collegiate game? No, we, we have not seen that. But all of us in the business of television have seen the, 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 the decline in television ratings across the board. So the NFL experienced that. Uh, we, will, we will probably experience that. If we don't this year, we're going to be in the years to come. As the lake goes down, all the boats will go down just a little bit. But our viewership is still very strong by comparison to all other all other sporting events, and we we just have a very popular product. The ratings were pretty good on uh, on, on New Year's Day this year. What, twenty seven million for for Oklahoma and and Georgia? Yeah, you bet. A, a rock solid rating. A Rose Bowl rate. Rose Bowl always draws a lot of viewers anyway, and that that game just added some uh, some some icing on the cake there. Uh, one of the great games of all time that either team could have won, and. Um, I was just proud of both teams' effort, but from a business perspective, yeah, it was a very good day for us in terms of viewership. In your infancy, you've experimented with semifinal games on New Year's Eve, and you've experimented with semifinal games on New Year's Day. From a TV's perspective, New Year's Day is is a better day. From an overall holistic business perspective, how much better is it for you guys to have the semifinals on New Year's Day versus New Year's Eve? We tried to do something special on New Year's Eve, and discovered early on, after the first year, actually, that the viewers had plenty of other things to do. And our goal was to play the games when the most people could watch. And so after that first year of, of non-New Year's Eve games, we played on a Thursday, New Year's Eve. Non-New Year's Day, that is. Thursday was New Year's Eve when we played. We decided to make a change. And so from now on, the semifinals will either be on a Saturday or a national holiday. And that's when the most people can watch. Uh, which is what we wanted. The games rotate, as you know, among six bowls. And in this year, they happen to be in the Sugar and Rose Bowls, which were, are played on New Year's Day. Next year, they'll be in the Cotton and Orange Bowls. Those games will be back on a Saturday. You know, you sports executives make yourselves out to be geniuses, Bill. It's all very simple. All you need is a Heisman Trophy winner, two marquee brands, a marquee bowl game, and a couple of overtimes. And there's your audience. What's so hard about that? <laughs> We we understand that we we are uh, we are fully aware that all we need is a great game and uh, and we sure had it in the Rose Bowl. Well, you said something interesting earlier. You said the business of television. How long until this is so much more? I think we're there in the professional ranks. 
Uh, you know from the NCAA championship in basketball, Turner turned that into a wonderful digital property. It seems as if the future of college sports, especially with the demo who's right there with their cell phones everywhere they go, rife with opportunities for a digital expansion of college football in a media world. Yeah, we're going to we're, we're absolutely going to see a digital expansion. Uh, we're not going to see a, a wholesale move away from home, but there there will be a digital expansion for all of us in the future. I think all of us need are just going to have to keep our, our, our eyes on the digital revolution to see how it all plays out in terms of how to monetize it. Who has already been in touch with you guys saying we're interested? We have some ideas. Let's discuss what can we create. What kind of companies have been involved in, in at least early discussions on wanting to be a player in this industry? We really haven't had a lot of that because people understand that we still have eight more years to go with our agreement with ESPN. So we, we you know, I, I talk to people in the trades and and around, but we not people are not reaching out to us. Tell us a bit more about the media strategy for you. I mean, I we, we talk a lot on, on this podcast about changes in digital, Amazon getting in, Facebook getting in. We saw this year with the NFL broadcast that Amazon had multiple streams at once, which is something that you guys have also been doing for a while with your coaches stream, which I love, the celebrity stream, the, the Homer broadcasts, et cetera. Uh, college football playoff, more so than anything else in the sports world right now on TV, seems to be experimenting with a lot of different possibilities and types of broadcasts. Fans want to be inside. And our television rights holder, ESPN, certainly is aware of that. And we are so fortunate to be with ESPN that has so many platforms so they can provide those different views. Hometown radio announcers just gives the fans so many ways to get inside. And we're obviously going to see that continue over the next well, in the future, definitely. So how many years are we from the uh, the broadcast that's just Nick Saban's headset? <laughs> I want to see a broadcast that is taken from the piccolo player's seat in the marching band. I think that'd be cool. Was that Villanova? Was that the Villanova? Villanova, girl? yeah. <laughs> That's the point, though. I mean, you do understand, obviously, that people want what they want, when they want it, where they want it, how they want it, and that the one broadcast for all does not work anymore. It's going too far to say it doesn't work anymore. I I totally agree with your statement about people want what they want, they want when they want it, and where they want it. Totally get that. But uh, let's remember that there's still a lot of people that want to be able to stay home and watch uh, and eat their pizza and drink their beer and watch the ball game. Well, Mark Cuban has said of the U.S. sports leagues, particularly the NBA and the NFL, that they've done a terrible job at reinforcing the message that TV is still the best way to watch sports. They've kind of allowed it to get off the rails with mobile. Do you agree that the message from sports leagues, and I'm going to, for lack of better, going to consider the NCAA and college football a major sports league, that the message is, and the broadcasters would love it to be, that TV is still king and the best way to do it? Well, we're not, none of us, I don't think any of us are trying to send any messages. The fact is, TV is is still king, and um, it's still the way that the vast number of people are able to connect with events like ours. How that will change over the next generation, we're all going to have to sit back and watch and and see what happens. We're chatting with Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff. And Bill, when did this sea change occur? Maybe it was IMG, maybe it was Learfield, and now they're coming together. But college athletics became a national buy. That changed everything. It wasn't one team. It wasn't one conference. Everybody who wanted in on the sport could do so on a national basis. That, that's a big deal, isn't it? 
Well, there's more ways to buy into college football, but you have to remember that the Chevrolet sponsorship of the old ABC uh, NCAA football series 40 years ago uh, was a national buy and was a tremendous buy for for Chevrolet, and and, and they they were so delighted to have that little not little have that giant footprint. But there are you're right, there are more ways to buy into the game nationally now. I think everybody's challenge is to allow the buyers into that, but also to maintain the exclusivity and the special nature of of a company's buy. You you don't want 600 national sponsors, and we certainly don't have that, nowhere near that with ESPN. ESPN's really good at managing that, as are the people from all the other networks. Let's talk about revenue distribution. Uh, You guys give out over $300 million uh, distributed to the conferences. The big conferences, the Power Five, get get about $54 million each. Uh, The the Group of Five, the other five, they split about $81 million. Uh, Talk us through how you guys came up with with that number, that kind of distribution. Yes, it was all negotiated uh, back at the time, five and a half years ago, when we created the playoff. We maintained some of the principles from the BCS, which was, a small payout for the conferences whose teams are in the game. Uh, and then we added a new component, which was a component based on academic performance by all the schools in a conference. And I say conference because, as you know, the revenue from CFP goes to the conferences, and then it is divided by the conferences among the schools. But kept the BCS principles to some extent, really wanted to have a small percentage-wise payout for participating we wanted to pay the school's expenses. We've added in the last three years or since the playoffs started a really neat component, which is paying expenses of parents to travel to attend their, their, their son's games. We're so happy to be able to do that. Uh, and then, I think a lot of people aren't aware of this, but there's no extra payment for Georgia and Alabama for winning the semifinals. They receive $6 million, which is the same as Clemson and Oklahoma. We like that. You don't have to put a premium on participation. Everybody shares in the revenue from CFP, and everybody is is doing, all conferences are doing uh, much better than they did in the BCS days. Do you worry that the payouts kind of help separate the haves and the have-nots a bit? I mean, the difference between the Big Ten payout and and Conference USA's payout now is about $40 million, and under the BCS it was was $20-something million. I mean, the schism between the schools that, that are in those power conferences seems to be getting wider between them and some of the schools in, in smaller conferences like Conference USA or, or, or the Sun Belt. There's some nuances relative to the payouts. I suppose it could be said that the gap is widening. There's always been a gap, but I suppose it could be said that it's widening. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure which side of that fence I'm on. I think about that a lot because the so-called group of five conferences receive much more revenue than they did from the BCS, and I believe more revenue than than if they had decided to go off and have their own playoff, which of course was suggested, um, but then was quickly kind of shouted down by everybody else in that group. The payouts, the BCS payment philosophy and our payment philosophy in CFP is based in large part on the marketplace. We know what conferences are driving the market here, and uh, the payout doesn't exactly re- reflect that because the, the share to the, the group of five conferences is uh, probably more than the market would uh, would provide them otherwise. And the four teams you have this year are all top 25 in, in overall revenue. Alabama, $164 million a year. Oklahoma, $150 million a year. Georgia's at a $123 million. 
is there any concern that you guys just eventually start drawing from the same smaller and smaller pool of of schools? Is it better to have Alabama and, and Oklahoma in this thing every year? Or would you rather have a, a bigger, wider assortment of teams that have the possibility of getting in? You know, frankly, to me, it doesn't matter. Let, let, me, say, let me say this about, like, Alabama. Yeah, Alabama's been in there. We know that. But this group of kids has not been to all four of those games. This group of players, these freshmen, these sophomores, they might have been once, they might have been twice. Many of them haven't been at all. So from a, from a perspective of people who run a game and, and really try to have the best experience for the athletes, uh, these are new people. And it is, is a tournament, and whoever gets into it and whoever wins it is who wins it. And that's the way a playoff should be. Chatting with Bill Hancock, executive director of the college football playoff. And, Bill, looking forward, what are some of the new revenue streams that might – flow into college athletics, particularly something that garners so many eyeballs like the college football playoff? I should probably speak to the playoff. Uh, Our marginal revenue streams are in sponsorships and hospitality packages at the championship game, ticket sales at the championship game, which have been, uh, all all four games obviously have been tremendous sellouts and, and have been a very difficult ticket. And then how we how we do at the at the uh, semifinal bowl games. Those are the marginal marginal revenue sources because our our revenue from our television contract is uh, is constant and it's spelled out over the twelve years. Do you see the day coming where the NCAA and the universities and the conferences and the presidents are going to have to get together and say what do we do with all this money that people might I say might want to wager on the outcome of these athletic events? Boy, oh boy, the whole thing on wagering is a delicate topic, certainly a delicate for someone like me. Uh, I graduated from college in 1972, and I remember the wagering scandals that happened in the 50s, and we cannot afford that to happen again. So I, 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 my mindset on wagering is, oh boy, we really need to be careful with this. And I, I understand the laws, and I, I see and hear that this may be loosening up. Um, but this is this is pure sport, and we really we really have to do everything we can to maintain that. If we ever lose that, we will have lost something precious. The question I have, and do you buy the argument then, whether it's Adam Silver or somebody else, who says that it's happening anyway, and that by regulating it on a federal level and by illuminating what's going on, that that's the best way to ensure the integrity of the event? I, I understand Adam's comments and. Uh, he has a great product with the NBA, a different type of a product than college football, college sports and all across the board. I don't want us to lose our pure intercollegiate athletics, college sports, higher education nature. And anything that moved us away from that would certainly raise eyebrows in our camp and certainly mine also. Does paying players move you away from that camp? Yeah, it moves me away. And as a father who sent two sons through college, I certainly understand the value of a college education, as does any parent who has been in my shoes. These are college students, and there's plenty of time to go be professionals later on, but they're college students right now. But would a major shakeup in in the way student-athletes are treated at the collegiate level, whether they're paid outright, like Jeff Kessler and some of these lawsuits are arguing, or whether there is some kind of middle ground, would that change business for you guys? I mean, it, it still stands to reason that the best colleges and, and the best programs are going to continue to get the best players and the, the product on the field will be just as good. Do you, do you worry that, that fans would turn, around, turn away in that situation? I don't think anyone knows what fans' reaction would be. 
Um, it's almost a moot point because I, I don't hear any talk from within the leadership of, of higher education uh, about doing that. But I do know that the Texas Longhorns are would be a much, much, much more significant brand than the NFL AAA Texas Mavericks. We are based on the passion of people who have a strong connection with our universities. And anything we do to jeopardize that would be a big mistake. Bill, I want to ask you about the value of the brand, of the uniform, of the university. And this is just a hypothetical, but how many people would show up if you took these exact players, the players from Alabama and the players from Georgia, and called one team Team Blue and the other team Team Red, and you put them in an 80,000-seat stadium, but they were, it was not Alabama playing Georgia. It was Team Blue versus Team Red. How many people show up? Probably 20,000. So that you're talking about then the value of the institution and the uniform. That's, yeah, I mean, and, that's and, the fans. Yeah, and, and not, as much, not as much the uniform, but and the institution gets to where I'm going to go, but it is the emotional connection that people have with their school. That's my school. I sat in that stadium. I played in the band. I went to chemistry class in that very hall, and I want to go back here on Saturday and show my grandson where I went to chemistry class and where I should have studied in the library if I hadn't been out drinking beer. <laughs> so it's that emotional connection that is the basis for everything that's successful about college sports. We've seen in college basketball uh, a pretty far-reaching Department of Justice investigation into into bribery and, and some recruiting violations. We obviously haven't seen the end of that. Uh, there have been questions about whether that extends into college football. Does that keep you up at night at all? I mean, are you worried about about what, what might be found if, if if the Department of Justice turns an eye to, to college football as well? You know, I'm not as much worried about what might be found as I'm, I'm worried about what's there. It's bothersome. And I frankly think it, it, it might lead us to a course correction that could be healthy for college basketball. I was as shocked as anybody else to, to have heard about what when the when, when the DOJ and the FBI came down with what they came down with. But after I got over my shock, I thought, you know what? This might point us in a, in a nice, nice new direction. And what does that course correction look like in, in your mind? I don't think anybody knows. I don't think, I think anybody who speculates doesn't, isn't, is only doing that, is only speculating. We're going to have to see. Can you look forward for me in the landscape of major college sports and these brands and these coaches and these universities where does the power lie? Is it in the coach's office or is it in the president's office? Because I remember, remember what Gordon Gee said that one time ago when somebody asked if he was going to fire the football coach, and he said, "I hope he doesn't fire me." Where does the power? <laughs> where Where does the power lie? Well, the power is still with the with the presidents and with the boards of regents. The coaches are providing a great service for the universities and for the young people. Doggone it! Let's not lose sight of the value of this education and the value of participating uh, for the young people, not only the players, but, but all the students. For me, the, for me, the power lies with the students. The coaches are orchestrating it all, they're directing it, uh, and the presidents are reaching, and the regents are uh, keeping a close eye on everything. All right, well, Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff, thank you for making me harken back to Keith Jackson with one dog on it. <laughs> thank you for taking some time. <laughs> Whoa, Nelly. Oh, Nelly. <laughs> we might hear a few of those in the championship game. Hey, it's been fun, guys. Thank you. 
All right, Eben, takeaways from Bill Hancock. There's a lot of money in college football. <laughs> and he's, he's already thinking of ways to get more. Sports betting, while he's not sure how that's going to work in the college environment, it's on the radar screen. Digital, on the radar screen. And he's got a lot, a lot of knowledge because of what Turner did at the college basketball championships. He brings an interesting perspective of multi-sport. He's been around the Olympics. So he gets how the whole world fits together. And he, he's really looking at how can I take this platform of all these college games of college football, the top brands out there, and, and put some more money into the sport. I was also interested to hear how aligned he is with the NCAA in terms of amateurism and the importance of preserving that. There is obviously a huge movement among fans, among media, to pay players, to give the athletes who are generating those dollars a, a chance to earn a little bit of that while they're doing it. Um, and you heard Bill Hancock say that he does not want that to happen. He's concerned about what that would mean for, the, for college sports in general. And theoretically, his business isn't affected by that. Whether Alabama is openly paying players or not, uh, the four best teams in the country are going to come and join him in the playoff, and people are going to come and watch them. But you said he heard, you heard him say that there are less people interested if people are paid, and I think that's interesting. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Our number of the week, we go from the high of all the money coming in to the low. This week's number is zero, zilch, nada. Imagine this, you get to go to a sporting event Gratis, for free, nothing. Who does this, Evan Novi Williams? The Oakland Athletics are doing it for uh, the 50th anniversary of their playing in the Coliseum. It's a day game in April, maybe not the most popular game ever. However, they are letting fans go for free. I believe it's the first time that a sporting event has ever been entirely free. That's what they say. That's what they say. Um, and I think it's a great idea. I mean, you're, obviously you're struggling to get folks into the games in April. You know, attendance isn't great in the early part of the baseball season. You're trying to drum up some kind of affinity well, among let's fans. Let's celebrate a building we disparage every other day of the <laughs> season, right? So on this one day, let us celebrate a facility that, well, really needs to be raised. They say they need a new building, but that's another thing. Largest from pro sports teams, not something we see every day. No, and I wonder if this is going to be the first of, of many more teams. Baseball obviously makes the most sense, but we'll see if others follow suit. Let's watch for the millennial turnout. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Eben Novi-Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.